to Sarah, who is on her way up and is going to continue for us the sermon series we are in called How Can Faith Make Life Better? One last time, how about we say good morning, Sarah? Well, hi, as John said, my name is Sarah. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, in addition to occasionally speaking on Sunday morning, I do spiritual direction during the week. I lead groups and workshops and really basically create environments where people feel comfortable connecting with themselves, connecting with God, and connecting with people around them. I love creating environments. That's something that I do really well. I can say that about myself. But, you know, there's some things that I don't do very well. I would say the top of the list, maybe not the very top, but probably top five, is navigation. Some of the darkest moments in my relationship with my husband, John, have been when John's driving and he asked me to pull up something on Google Maps and help him get somewhere. It doesn't go well. In fact, we have decided that in order for our marriage to not just survive but thrive, we need to limit time together in a car. (laughs) And as dark as those times have been, that's not the darkest. About eight years ago, John and I rented a car. John drove to Cambridge where we were going to a conference at our sister church, Blue Ocean Church, like we are. And we checked into the hotel just afternoon, and I had, was very excited about it because even though it was further from the church, it was this boutique hotel. I had gotten a good deal on it. I wanted to put on one of their robes and slippers and relax in the room and really get my money's worth. But John had to be at the church at two to practice with the band so that they could play at seven when the conference started. And right away, I knew that I had a very tough decision to make. Would I go with John at two and spend five hours in that cruddy church building Or would I drop John off at the church and drive back to the hotel and enjoy the hotel? Now, that may not be a big decision for you, but it was huge for me because of my navigational problems. So as we were driving to the church, John was pointing out all of these landmarks and saying, this is going to be very easy. You can do this. Psyching myself up. Dropped off John, pulled out of the church parking lot, and as you would guess, in minutes, I was hopelessly lost. I'm wandering around Cambridge, and for some reason, they have areas where they don't put up street signs. I don't understand it. I am getting more and more confused. I'm going down wrong ways, one-way streets. I can't get back to where I'm going. And I call John. I'm like, I need help. He's like, Um, Sarah, I don't have a car. Where are you? I don't know. (laughs) It's like you have an iPhone. Open Google Maps, figure out where you are, chart a course to the hotel. But I couldn't figure that out. I would zoom in close enough to see the little blue dot, and then I couldn't read the name of the street, so I had to get it small again, try to see the name of the street. It was a disaster. I had to refill my car with gas. I was driving so much, trying to find the hotel. Two and a half hours later, I got back to the hotel. 
because I got pulled over by a cop for going the wrong way down a divided highway. And the cop decided the only way we can keep Cambridge safe is if I give her a police escort to the hotel. That really happened. So we're going to get back to that in a minute. We're in a sermon series, How Can Faith Make Life Better? Let me grab these really quick. And I think it's a great question to ask. How is faith making my life better? What does faith even offer me? I've been thinking about this question since we started the sermon series because I think it's really a good thing to think about. And I think in general, you know, I would say that I think faith offers hope for our lives. And then I started thinking about, but how? That's interesting. But, but how does that happen? You know, at some point, we map out our life with some kind of destination in mind. Or maybe we map out a series of destinations, like a lifelong road trip. You know, and the word destination is really another word for a goal. We imagine where we want to be in life, and we set goals to get there. And we also have strong ideals of who we want to be. The ideal us for every role we play in our life. Somewhere in my mind, I have a strong sense of what Sarah, the ideal mom, should be. What Sarah, the ideal spouse, should be. What Sarah, the ideal friend, should be. What Sarah, the ideal pastor, should be. And these ideals that I hold shape the way that I look at life. How about you? What are your ideals? Where do they come from? Our perception of the ideals come largely from our upbringing. I started thinking about this. And I could identify some sayings that I heard repeatedly in my childhood that kind of got implanted in my brain and affect my ideals in some ways. Some sayings like, I don't know if you've ever heard of these, but I heard them a lot. All that you do with all your might, do with all your might, things done by halves are never done right. I usually heard that when I cleaned my room by putting everything in the closet and my mom opened the closet door. Or, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Children should be seen and not heard. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> After all Jesus has done for you, what are you going to do for him? So now let's take a few minutes because I don't want to think about this in theory. I want us to think about this in our real lives. So to do this, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do a spiritual exercise. It's just going to take two or three minutes. And what that means is here is a simple 
worksheet. We're going to give you two minutes to think about ideals that you might have in your life. So the first thing you're going to do is pick out two of the following to reflect on. You're going to pick two roles, like maybe your role as a parent, son, daughter, sibling, friend, coworker, partner, spouse. Maybe you don't have a partner or a spouse and you want one, so you have in your mind what you need to be to be the ideal potential spouse or partner, friend, leader. And then after that, after you've thought of two of these roles in your life, think about specifics of what the ideal looks like for that role. So for example, I was thinking about Sarah, the ideal neighbor. I was thinking about this yesterday. Sarah, the ideal neighbor, always says hi in the elevator and have a nice day as people are leaving, knows the names of all my neighbors along with the names of their kids and their dogs, doesn't make too much noise, breaks down all of her boxes before she takes them to the trash room, hosts parties and get-togethers in order to really form a sense of community around her, and doesn't try to look into people's apartments when their door is open. <laughs> so if someone could help me pass out the thank you so much, and maybe one other person, we're going to take two or three minutes to fill this out. It might feel uncomfortable doing this here in church, but try it. Try it anyway. We're going to refer to it later, and I think you're going to benefit. Try to have fun with it. You're not going to turn it in. You're not going to share it with anyone. You don't need to put your name on it. This is totally for you right now. After you've written down your ideals, then see if you can recognize where these may have come from. So we'll take two minutes to do that right now. Okay, so hopefully you've got started. You have some things on your page. I did this exercise a couple weeks ago, and I did it for every role I could think of. And once I got going, I, I got really into it, and I had a lot written down. So take a look at your list. And look at these ideals that you've identified. There's probably some really good things on there. Things that have really helped you. Things that have kept you kind of in a direction that you want to move. But as you look at them, can you also feel the weight of them? As you started to think of these ideals and you thought of more and more, could you sense the weight as well? So back to the question, how can faith make life better? Is it that faith gives us ideals to live by that make our life better? Or maybe that faith gives us the perfect ideal, Jesus, for how to live our life. Maybe to live life by asking, what would Jesus do? And then do it. Is that how faith makes life better? And that seems right. It seems reasonable. It's what we would hear in Christian settings. But if you really follow that through, 
it falls apart. Because it's a faith that is all about what we do, our efforts, our actions, and the outcome falls solely on us. And if that's what faith is, it feels like an impossible burden to carry with impossible goals instead of a life-giving gift. So here's my question today. What if faith isn't meant to be a path of self-improvement, but a path to self-acceptance? What if faith isn't about making us better people, but about experiencing the unconditional love of God, of being loved as the real us, not the ideal us? And what if this place of unconditional grace-filled love is the starting point for everything else in life? I'm not saying that ideals are a bad thing. But I am saying that they're not the same thing as what faith offers. In fact, sometimes they can get in the way of what faith offers. The ideals that we hold stop benefiting us when we use them to judge ourselves and the people around us. And I find that a super easy line to cross. I have ideals when it comes to exercise and nutrition. These are goals that sometimes help me stay active and eat healthy foods. These are behaviors that I'm trying to adopt to take care of my 54-year-old body and to keep doing the things that I like to do as I get older. But... On the days when I don't live up to these ideals, like recently when I ate a bag of sweet chili Doritos instead of the baby carrots and hummus I had bought to snack on, I judge myself as bad. And this judgment causes me to see everything differently. Instead of Sarah, the ideal healthy person, I am now Sarah, the undisciplined person. Sarah, the bad, gluttonous woman. Sarah, the unlovable. And I really, really want Sarah, the ideal, healthy person to exist. And even though she doesn't, I pretend like she does. And I take her to parties, and I take her to social outings. And it's tragic when people try to connect with Sarah, the ideal, healthy person. Because she's not there. People can only connect with the real us, not the ideal us. That's how relationships form. According to Dr. Henry Cloud, a psychologist who wrote a New York Times bestseller, Boundaries, which I highly recommend, our ideals are a way of making sense of good and bad in the world. The world around us is good and bad. People around us are good and bad. We are good and bad. Are you familiar with the quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, him, a Russian novelist, who said, 
The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. Our human tendency is to try to resolve this problem of good and evil by keeping the good and the bad separated. Kind of like those cafeteria trays that keep your peas and mashed potatoes separate. And to do this, I have to see the bad me and the bad other and the bad world as all bad so that I can experience the good me and the good other and the good world is all good. And this splitting of good and bad results in our ability to intolerate, uh, to tolerate brokenness, weakness, failure in ourselves and in the people around us. And our natural tendency is just to try harder and harder to meet the ideal. But the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, has another answer for us. It's acceptance. It's a beautiful passage that I'm going to read today in the book of Romans. And I'm going to read a paraphrased version called The Message, which I think illuminates this so wonderfully. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fate, fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code weakened as it always was by fractured human nature could have never done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what God is doing in us. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's actions in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. I love that. So, we're reading that Paul thinks that we get away from living under the low-lying black cloud and experience faith that makes life better when we embrace the true self as it really is, when we acknowledge the imperfect and be in relationship as we really are. And with no pressure to be ideal, we experience incredible growth and spiritual power. 
So back to my story, the idea of navigation and a map. One map I do like is the big map that they have at rest stops when you're on a road trip, the ones that are covered in glass and give you this big overview. But the key point of that map is the little sign that says, you are here. That's an important distinction when you're trying to find your way. Identifying where we are on the map puts us in a space where we're freer to follow God into more love and connection. Navigating from where we wish we were or where we think we should be just doesn't work. So when we know who we are, the real, and don't fight it or deny it, we're in a place where it's easier to hear from God and to follow God into fuller life, a life much fuller than our ideals could ever accomplish. So faith can make life better because we don't just have to suck it up and try harder or live in shame. We can come to terms with our real and be loved unconditionally. So I'd like to share with you some practical suggestions what we can try to experience that kind of faith. And the first one is to hold ideals loosely. Is an ideal you hold getting in the way of living an open, spacious, free life? Maybe it's time you let that go. I have an ideal that I go in and out of, and that is Sarah, the perfect woman who has a perfect house. And then I had two little kids and a big black lab. And I had a lot of angst in my life because I'm trying hard to meet that ideal. And I had a big sliding glass door that all three critters loved to lick, to sniff, to wipe their hands on, and it was driving me crazy. I was compulsively cleaning that sliding glass door. And as soon as I would walk away from it, one of those three creatures would lick it. It was like, it was crazy. It caused so much tension in our household. It was a constant battle. And then one day I realized I'm bringing the tension into this house. I need to give up this ideal of Sarah, the perfect woman with a perfect house, in order to embrace the real Sarah with two little kids and a big black lab. And that helped me experience a life more open and free. So, Hold ideals loosely, and if there's something that's getting in the way of a great life, let it go. Another thing that we can try is to practice making peace with the reality that we are both good and bad. Not so that we feel horrible, not so that we're beaten down, not so that we would feel shameful, but so that we can really experience unconditional love. That's why we acknowledge the good and the bad. 
I hate the word bad, and I don't usually have it in my vocabulary. I like less than perfect, not so great, not too hot, could be better. I don't like bad, so I like to put this little rose-colored filter over that. But when I do that, I rob myself of the ability to be loved unconditionally and to know that and to take it in. So try making peace with the reality that we're both good and bad and we're fully loved. Another thing that we could try is practice loving the less than ideal in others. Now, since we're all less than ideal, there's tons of practice out there. And this helps so much in life because it helps us stay in relationship, to stay connected. Instead of moving from person to person when we see the less than ideal or from job to job or church to church, loving the less than ideal in others also helps us love the less than ideal in ourselves. Because the things that drive us most crazy, those things that really get us, usually reflect something in us as well. So practice loving the less than ideal in others. And then lastly, try this prayer this week. Jesus, help me loosen my grip of the ideal and embrace the real. This is a life long process give it a try pray this prayer this week and see what happens i'd like to end with some verses from romans those who enter into christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud a new power is in operation The spirit of of life in Christ, like a wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. And now we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, Simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Those who trust in God's actions in them find that God's Spirit is in them, leading us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Let's pray. God, thank you that you know us fully and you love us completely. God, I pray that you would help us, lead us into open, spacious, free life by becoming more comfortable with who we are. Thank you, God, for your transformational love. In Jesus' name, amen.